podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the Streddycast. Today's is a very special edition as it marks the first episode from our new series from the archives. My name is Sean Connolly, a writer for Streddy News, and I'm going to be guiding you through an array of talking points for the club's history. As fans, it's incredibly important to be in the here and now. We want to be able to discuss performances, results and any relative talking points. Also, as fans, it's imperative that we remember the talking points that have got us to where we are today. This is fan-requested content. It's going to be delivered by the fans for the fans. And where better to start than with the flavour of the month? Today, we're going to discuss the iconic number seven. And I'm joined by none other than the author of the acclaimed book, Tara Fergie, and a lifelong red, Mr. Pete Molyneux. Pete, thanks a million for joining me. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, Sean. And uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to be joining you. Uh, any any you excuse much. to talk about United? Any excuse to talk about United. Pete, uh, for those listening who are not of an age to remember the early days of Sir Alex Ferguson, can you kindly share your own unique moment in the club's history? <laughs> yes, well, in 1989, when I'd been following them then from t- for about 25 years, from the age of 10, uh, Fergie had come in, we'd been trying to get the title then for about 20, yeah, 20, 21 years, and... Um, uh, he'd spent a lot of money, the football was dire, the crowds were down to 33,000, I was cheesed off, there was no social media then, um, I didn't want to vote with my feet and not go because I'm a loyal supporter, so I got some paint out the shed and a banner off the bed and I wrote uh, a, a flag saying three years of excuses and it's still crap to our Fergie, <laughs> held it up at the Crystal Palace game in December 89 and um, that's it. I thought, right, my process over. I've had my moan. See how it goes. And I'm still dining <laughs> out on it all these years later. <laughs> and rightly so. Rightly so. You deserve it after all that. Absolutely. How brilliant. So, Pete, the iconic number seven. Um, I suppose it's not that it's a wonder that can miraculously transform a good player to that of a modern great. It's more so a fact that many of the game's greats have just so happened to call that particular number their very own. Now, I've had the privilege of watching quite a few of those in the flesh, although the list of greats um, goes back far further than my name. And obviously, you've got the privilege of witnessing some more as well. When we're talking about the number seven, where better to start the chat than with the enigmatic Irishman, George Best? Pete, he was a bit of all right, wasn't he? Oh, oh, he, he was. Good Lord. Um, George Best was my first hero. Still, still, still is uh, and always will be. Uh, I saw the youth team playing in 63-64 before my dad would take me to the first team matches. And it was a very good youth team. It won the youth cup that season. Um, the first time we'd done that since the Busby Babes. But the star of the show by far was a guy called Georgie Best who just lit up. It lit up Old Trafford with his performances in the youth team, let alone when he got in the first team and into Europe. Uh, but it lit up my life and it lit up the life of millions of United supporters. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a... A great, great footballer. He did have everything. I know it's a cliche, but he, he played brilliantly. 
including work rate and things that great players do that people often forget. Um, but the way he dribbled was like nobody else. And uh, they called him the fifth Beatle. He was. He brought such glamour to the role, but not just glamour. He had he had ability as well. The the the, the girls loved him because of his football skills. If the girls were into the footy, but he was a good looking fella. But the lads loved him too. They weren't jealous of him. They wanted to be like George Best on the field and maybe in the nightclub, you know. So we all loved him. Even even the City fans loved him, really, if you were honest. Yeah, um, it would have been, and would have been hard not to. Set, yeah, so they go. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you after. I was saying it would have been impossible not to love him. He was just, he, he was he was ideal. Well, it, well, he was. He played for about 11 years with us and um, uh, Kate, Kate just burst on the scene and we won the league twice in 65 and 67 and then we won the European Cup, the first English team ever to win the European Cup, what's now the Champions League, in 68 at Wembley and Bestie scored. Um, but, but he had tremendous games, um, a 5-1 victory in, against Benfica in Lisbon in 66. Benfica had never lost a home game to foreign opposition ever. Um uh, hard to describe. We could take up the whole show just talking about Bestie, but what's very hard, Sean, now is probably Ronaldo is probably the best player I've, I've seen and probably would say is the best player that he's been because you look at his longevity and his record. But if it, but that's if I'm voting with my head. If I'm voting with my heart, then Bestie uh, was, is and always will be the best player I've ever seen and I think that's played for Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, there's a case that can be made in both sides of it. And obviously someone like myself, I, I, I'm an 80s boy. Um, I didn't get the privilege of getting to see the man in the flesh, unfortunately. It's all been archive material and it's been videos and just, I suppose, sitting back in amazement at what this guy was doing. Um, it was almost like he was from a different generation and just placed back then, the way he moved, the way he he, he held the ball, his grace and the fact that he could back it all up, it was just, I mean, he had all the camaraderie off the football field. He had the style, the glamour, the women, the drinks, but he backed it all up on the football field, day in, day out. And it was amazing. And I think it really culminated with that, uh, with the, the, the famous European Cup win. I mean, it sort of, it brought him to a whole new scale, I think, didn't it? And, 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 and the world knew that there was something special about this boy. Oh, oh, definitely. Um, well, no, and certainly it was the culmination, 68, winning the European Cup. Two years before that, when he played in the game at, in Lisbon and scored twice in the opening nine minutes, and we won 5-1. Yeah. That was on a par with, for the more, the more, more younger fans, of when Beckham scored that goal at Wimbledon from the halfway line. All of a sudden, our George became everybody's Georgie Best. Um, yes, yeah. The world knew his name after that. And, um, yeah. What's sad is that he was only 21 when we won the European Cup in 68. He should have gone on and won more European Cups, but uh, that wasn't to be. The team uh, fell away. I thought I'd grow up into my teens, go into all the cathedrals of Europe, and I ended up at Orient and Oldham and Bristol Rovers because we were in the second division. That's um, right. So That's the team right. declined, the best he declined, and it never came. But what he did leave us with is unforgettable. Un, un, unforgettable memories it left us with and you spoke about his departure and obviously the uh, the four-long conclusion that uh, led us down in the division 
But from that and with the time period that we had, um, obviously number jerseys and the number in the back of your shirt was very relative to where you were starting on the football field back then in an awful lot of the time. And from that second division, um, we had uh, Willie Morgan. Now, obviously, uh, he, uh, he really stepped up to the plate and led the team through that particular period and gracing back from that division back up to the top field. What, what's your memory on him? Yeah, very much so. Well, well, funnily enough, Best, he played at number seven to start with, uh, right up to the European Cup final in 68. But then Willie Morgan was signed. He was supposed to be his first signing in the August 68, United after they just won the European Cup. And he got the number seven jersey. Um, but what's important perhaps to recall then, and I don't, I don't like delivering history lessons, but I am an old supporter. Deliver away, my friend. Deliver away. <laughs> but in those days, the numbers on the shirts were just 1 to 11. And whoever Matt Busby or Wilf McGuinness or Franco Farrell or then Tommy Doherty picks, that you were given that shirt. So if you played on the right wing, you were number seven. If you played on the left wing, you're number 11. And if exactly, you're the right yeah. fullback, you were number two. That only changed in... 1993 in the second year of the Premier League and it was part of uh, Sky's hype if you may say they'd call it PR let's call it PR yes. uh, that they they brought in squad numbers that a player had for the season and that's when Cantona arrived as well coincidentally and his number seven uh, Cantona as number seven Cantona became a, iconic but so did the number seven and it's only when later on uh, Christian Ronaldo uh, kind of branded it uh, CR7 that your number became so important. Before that, it was whatever the manager gave you on the day, that number you, you were playing in. You didn't have it for the season. Exactly. So it, it, that, that, that did change everything. But what we, once we realised it was iconic when Canton was here, what we realised was when you look back at United's previous number sevens, going back probably to the start of the century, they were all, they were nearly all very, very good players. Stayed a long time, entertained the crowd, scored goals. United's iconicness is not in the number seven shirt. It's in having great wingers, left and right, throughout the years, throughout the decades. We've not always had them, but we've had them most of the time. And we've always had them when United have played what you might call football, the Matt Busby way. The daring do of going forward with pace and power down the wings and getting the ball across. Exactly. So it's the wingers exactly. in a way that have been iconic, but number seven, yeah, we've had some iconic players. Willie Morgan played from 68 to 75, stayed when United were at least, more, at least successful and entertained us yes. with his right wing displays and brought and, those and, young and, and, lads through that Doherty brought through that brought us back from the second division. Exactly, and ultimately culminating in leading us to promotion in 1975 after that one solitary season in the, in the second tier. Now, um, I mean, obviously he was very successful as well in that he got to uh, represent his national team. He played in the World Cup finals in 74, uh, taking place in West Germany, I believe. Um, now, with uh, United then moving on and actually purchasing Steve Koppel with his signature back in 1975, Morgan inevitably lost his place in the United team. I think he returned to Burnley after that, didn't he? Um, but after that, uh, of those men, um, Steve Koppel came to the club. Now, I mean, obviously, uh, again, a little bit before my time, but looking back on what I know and, and through the archive footage that's there, Koppel was, uh, was a very educated man. I believe at the time United purchased him. Um, they bought him from Tranmere Rovers. And at the time, he was actually studying for a uh, degree as well as coaching the university team. Um, what are your memories of Steve Koppel? 
Yeah, it, it was. It was everything you, you you've said there. Um, Tommy Tommy Doherty and Willie Morgan fell out around about seventy five. It made him captain, like you say, gone to the World Cups. Willie Morgan, very a very clever jinking, dribbling right winger, um, and and moved back to midfield. But they fell out. And he instantly brought a bargain by something like seventy five thousand, which in those days wasn't a lot of money from Tranmere. Um, and what a what a buy he turned out to be. Nineteen seventy five, we got him. He played until eighty three, when an injury finished his career at twenty eight. But a, a, another brilliant right winger, very great ball skills in terms of dribbling. Yeah, and great speed as well. Probably faster than Morgan and more more direct. Um, uh, and he he was in the side that Tommy Dot put together between 74 to 77, where in the end we'd have Koppel on the right, Gordon Hill on the left, Stuart Pearson, Jimmy Greenoff in the middle. That was one of the most exciting teams I've ever seen United play uh, or put on a field since I started watching them in 1964. Even included some of the stuff the teams Fergie put out during his golden years. Um, yeah, yeah. The Reds of a Reds of a certain vintage will just purr and coo if you start talking about the Doherty years from '74 to '77, where we came up the second division, nearly won the top flight, won the FA Cup, got to another cup final and lost. But the football was out of this world. It was so cavalier, and it made it such an adventure to watch us every week. Absolutely, and it and it only further enhanced the uh, the nation's love for the club as well. Um, I mean, Koppel was very successful too. He had a privilege and he made 373 appearances for United. Obviously won an FA Cup, as you said. And uh, he went on and made 42 England uh, caps as well. So, I mean, for a guy that was signed for, as you said, a, a very, very minute figure from Tranmere Rovers, he made a fantastic career for himself. Unfortunately, that injury um, spelled it the, the end of his career at the tender age of 28, which is uh, terribly unfortunate. But it did bring to uh, light, I suppose, in, in a seven shirt, the rise of another certain man who who did all right for United, Mr. Brian Robson. Brian Robson, yes, for sure. He came in just before Koppel finished. Um, Koppel handed over his shirt to him, and that said it wasn't his shirt. But Brian Robson tells the story when he was playing for West Brom. He played not; he was a midfielder, so he wasn't a right winger. He wasn't a winger at all, Robson. Although you could have played him anyway, you could have played him in goals, um, and he just starred. But he was a Brilliant. midfielder. But he said when he was at West Brom, he wore a number of shirts on his back. Um, but when he played in the number seven shirt, he, he considered it lucky. That's lucky right, yeah. A seven is a lucky number in England. He played better for West Brom in that kit. So he asked for it when he came to United. Nothing to do with the way Cristiano's asked for Cavani's shirt now. But anyway, he played in that. Now, Brian Robson, uh, one of the greatest captains we've ever had. Him and Roy Keane, probably the two best captains I've ever seen. And up to this last few months... Uh, I think it's what Manchester United have been missing from the teams we've had in the past. A captain that will drag the team up on those days or in those periods during a match where we need someone to get us by the scruff of the neck and and go forward uh, um, uh, and be the Manchester United that we all know and love. Uh, And Brian Robson did that with his his leadership. He, He led from the front in the sense that he... Would he was a tough tackler, he'd win the ball, he could pass brilliantly, he could head, he could score goals. Great player for England and Manchester United, Sean. Amazing, amazing. And, um, I mean, he's he, I, I, I find it bewildering to actually think about the fact that in the modern conversation about this iconic jersey, 
that there's often people who forget about Brian Robson. And, and I just, I, I, I'm, I'm dumbfounded as to how that could, that could possibly happen. I mean, from, all you have to do is just look through any of that archive footage if you're of a certain age where you haven't been able to witness him and just see how often he single-handedly dragged the club through games. And, like, and not just one game, it would be game after game. And I mean, obviously, he, he yielded multiple accolades as well. He got two league titles to his name, didn't he? Three FA Cups. And uh, that club famous European Cup and Cup success as well. Um, I think with Robson, it's, it, you have to touch on it when you talk. And that fine, I think one of his finest moments, now you might disagree with me, was when um, the, he went up against that Maradona-led Barcelona side back in 83-84. And after coming down from 2-0 in the first leg to turn it around in the second leg. Uh, no, I'd put that as the pinnacle as well. He, I mean, the whole team yeah. were great that night. That's one of about five games where I could name it's the loudest crowd I've ever heard at Old Trafford. Again, Brilliant. in me 50-odd in in years, 56 years. The noise that night were absolutely a splitting from around the ground, but particularly Stretford end. But yeah, 2-0 down, Maradona, big figure on the world stage then, plus Bernard Schuster and several others. Barcelona never had a dull team. But we pulled back a 3-0. And when that third goal went in, bloody hell, you could have, you could probably have heard the cheer in Barcelona. <laughs> brilliant. They, they all brilliant. played brilliantly. But Brian Robson was, he was the, he, the way he led that team, he, was, he had all the assets that if you were writing it down, what would your captain be? That, that was that. And it was Brian Robson that night. But as, as you say, Sean, he did it in ordinary league games against Notts County and Coventry City, and you know yeah. we could be play, we could be playing an amateur team on a Tuesday night. Robson gave his all; he always gave his all. He did, he did, and um, I suppose very similar to that of Koppel, and, and even toward the latter part of his career, he did struggle quite a bit with injuries, didn't he? And um, that, yes, that obviously left the door open for various other players to don that particular jersey in his absence. Um, it was such a shame too, but um, an amazing career. But obviously leading on to that particular point that you touched on a few moments ago about the club's acquisition of Eric Cantona. Um, now, I mean, we're getting into modern day and I suppose we're, we're reaching an elk of a, a different section of supporter that maybe didn't have access to material of these older players that we've spoken about. But with Cantona, this was really seen as the, I suppose, the final, jig, the, 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 the final jigsaw piece for Fergie, wasn't it? And as well as that, with his acquisition and taking over that number seven shirt, it really allowed the media to jump aboard this uh, freight train of the iconic Manchester United number seven. And uh, Manchester United were more than happy to take that on board, weren't they? Oh, de- definitely. It, there's no doubt that, Cantadar in those five years, years he was there put the number seven um, iconic shirt up there but again by playing brilliant football and leading United on to not just victory but honours in a cavalier style that's essential yeah. that we don't win by attrition uh, United we've never done never done that uh, nor would the nor would the Old Trafford crowd allow it ever in any era I, I believe but um, Cantonar is, I would say, the most important signing ever, ever that I've known, possibly in the United's history. We're yeah. at November 92. We've not won the league since 1967. And when we won it in 67, we, we'd equal the record in England of the number of wins by teams that have won the league. We went level with Liverpool and went level with Arsenal. So we were where we should be. Then didn't win it at all, and Liverpool went on to... Uh, wherever they went on to. 
19 or what, uh, 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 18. We will not um, talk about that. No, 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 no. Well, 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 they have a happy ending. I do like a happy ending in football, Sean. It had a happy ending. Now. But yeah. November 92, we got so close the season before, but lost it to Leeds by losing three of the last six games when we'd only lost three of the previous 32. Uh, and you thought, we'll always be the bridesmaids. There was people of my age, well, not my age then, but people who were watching United then that thought, please, God, just give me one season where we win it again and I'll die happy. Yes. And, yeah, in that November, Sean, I think we'd stop, we'd, we'd not scored in five games. We were eighth in the league uh, after having finished runners-up the season before. It looked like another failure. And Cantona being signed from Leeds, United fans didn't know right away that was going to change things. But it, it's one of those moments where you always remember, if you were alive then, and then you supported United, where you heard the news. And at first you couldn't believe it, and then you went, oh, really? Oh, bloody yeah. hell, that's good. It gave you a warm feeling. And he'd only been in the country about two years. That that man took United from good to great in over the next five years and yeah. laid the foundations for what we see now as the modern Manchester United. And when what you do reference to previously, what we've been lacking in recent time with regards to a Keener or Robson, that sort of character on, on, on the field. Even though Cantona was of different ilk, he had this aura about him. And it almost inspired the players on the field to want to get up and perform at that extra level because, well, Eric's here, we have to do it. He had that just, he had that fantastic aura and that will to, I, I don't know, he just, he dragged the best out of his players. And he seemed to do so with such a, a lethargic essence about him that it's unmatched from anyone I've ever witnessed in my time. He's, he's an absolute pearl, an absolute legend of a player. Um, now, obviously, um, Cantona, he went on, he made, what, over 180 appearances for the club, I believe. And um, he retained that number seven shirt until his retirement after the 96-97 season. Um, I know during that summer period, then the club moved to bring in Teddy Sheringham. And Sheringham was keen on retaining his favourite number 10. He made uh, a, a request in coming to the club and the club honoured it. At the time, uh, Mr. David Beckham was the proud owner of that 10. And um, I don't know, um, have you come across it? I'm sure you have, but in his autobiography, Tells about how he was on holidays over in Malta and that he got a phone call off Ferguson to advise that, they, that 10 was no longer his number. They were giving it to Teddy Sheringham. And that was it. There was no explanation offered to it. Um, but uh, I suppose there's various different contrasting opinions from different players as to whether or not Beckham was keen on the number seven shirt. He claims himself that it was something he never looked toward. Other players looked differently. But in terms of fitting into that number seven lifestyle, the off-the-field looks, the good looks, the camaraderie, the ability on the ball, to be able to have that iconic moment, like you said, against Wimbledon. He had it all, didn't he? Oh, oh Beckham did, for sure, yeah. You're right. He, even then, what Cantona finished in 97, Beckham had been wearing uh, other, other squad numbers, because squad numbers were in, in then. But um, it wasn't a big thing to have the number seven shirt. It really wasn't. And Fergie wouldn't have wanted it to be. Fergie would say, look, if I put you out in a, a red and white string vest, I expect you to give you it all for Manchester yeah, United. Yeah, yeah. All that would be froth on the coffee to Fergie, what shirt you played in and the iconicness. But but a, but a picture was forming, as I say, when he started to look back from Bestie onwards, like all the number sevens weren't just good. They were, they were fantastic servants of the club and exciting and we love yeah. excitement, Old Trafford. It's what everyone loves excitement, but we de- we demand it really, especially in our wingers. So Absolutely. David Beckham came along, and he, he, he had that he had that in droves. 
he he he's he he and those players that came in with him from '92 had got the confidence that Cantona exuded, and um, was growing into it himself. And um, really, nobody, I suppose, noticed the number seven shirt too much. They noticed his appearances, the hard work rate, a great wing play again, but not dribbling so much. What Beckham was good at, without beating the man, was swerving the ball round him initially to Dwight York when. Uh, in that treble winning team, and then later on to Van Nistelrooy. Those crosses he put in, and the number that he did, the volume in a game, English and European defences had a lot of trouble coping with. They should have been illegal, shouldn't they? Those crosses were, it was almost a cheat code. Yes, 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 exactly. The you Catholic know? Church The Catholic Church would have been proud of <laughs> <laughs> very good very good um now obviously um as is the case with so many the off the field antics um and i suppose the the media more so than anything really culminated in um, a slight tension one could say building up in the dressing room between uh, sir alex and mr beckham and um was it the uh, 2002-2003 season was his last? Um, even though he's fondly remembered absolutely by, by every United fan, I would say. Um, the club moved pretty quickly uh, to bring in a certain Portuguese player. Um, now, I don't know that he had the same impact as the rest of them. What do you think? Oh, Ronaldo. Yeah, that guy, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's, funny, it's funny how one's gone out of the door and you think, oh, bloody hell, we've lost our hero. Beckham, yeah, yeah, Samson, yeah. Robson, Coppel, Best, Morgan. And another hero comes along, funny enough, in that shirt. <clears throat> it is because we buy attractive wingers, though, attractive in the sense of um, uh, of their their play. You know, uh, some of them exactly. have been quite attractive as men, but that's, that's a side issue. That's more stuff on the cop. And you know what you were saying as well? What you were saying that you would think that Fergie would want him to go out wearing a paper bag and still perform. I suppose it was common knowledge that when Ronaldo signed, he actually requested the number 28 shirt that he was wearing at Sport in Lisbon. Um, but that was actually yeah. denied by Ferguson and he was instead given a number seven. Yes, well, probably by then, the club, the, whoever was behind the scenes then. When the marketing, yeah. yeah. They'd, real, they'd have a quiet word in Fergie's ear saying, I know it doesn't matter to you, Sir Alex, but yeah. this in shirt sales alone, nobody used to talk about shirt sales alone. You couldn't get a duplicate shirt till about 1972. But yeah, um, yeah. You, you could, in shirt sales alone, it would bring in half the, or the full value of the transfer fee or whatever. So Fergie wasn't daft. He knew which side his bread was buttered and the club. And if that made the money he could buy other players with, he said he could wear whatever shirt he wants, I guess. But um, Ronaldo, yeah, went, yeah, was given the, the number seven shirt. It seemed, it seemed to fit in brilliantly. But it, it was because he was a right winger. Or he could have been given the number 11 shirt as a left winger. That's it, Ronnie that's came, it. But Ronnie came in and I, I guess, in a way, we didn't miss Beckham. But it was the end of one era in the sense that Fergie had to build, had got to the point where he had to build a new team after the treble winning team didn't go on to win European titles after... The, that night in Barcelona and he started to build a team around two young players Wayne Rooney and Cristiano Ronaldo and in the end three years later it came to a battle where they kept Ronaldo and he kept Van Nistelrooy but he went for the young lad who he, he was building a team around but once he'd, once he'd cut out a lot of the show pony stuff and got down to winning uh, contribute, having an end product either a, a cross that was wicked illegal as you say or scoring a goal himself, um, 
then we knew that we had something very, very special. And that specialness just got more and more from 03 right up to 09. When I think United had the best team we've had in the last, well, since I've been watching, but probably since, possibly in our history. I didn't see the Busby Babes, and sadly they didn't weren't allowed to come to the boil in the respect of show their true potential or realise their true potential. But that 08-09 team conquered the world, including the World Club Championship for the second time. The European it was Champions outstanding. League. And Ronaldo led that with some other great players. Uh, and I was just sorry, obviously, to see him go. But you realised he wanted to go and play Madrid. So you thought, well, that's OK, that's good it. luck. That's Never it, expected and, uh, to see him back here, though. No, 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 nor did I. I don't think I would have wagered any amount of money on that. And, and what you were talking about in that particular time period with that team that was dominating, um, I think a lot of people will agree with you about the overall domination of that side. It was, it was remarkable. And I mean, Ronaldo, he excited fans on a regular basis after he got that kind of raw period out of his career, like you were talking about. And I suppose the culmination of his hard work came with the record-breaking campaign in 07-08 when he hit 42 goals and 49 appearances. Um, yeah. I, think, I think it was always inevitable, though, um, when you have that type of player. But as you drew reference to in modern age with the marketability that is there with footballers, it was always going to be Real Madrid. And, and I think um, in listening to Rio Ferdinand speak through the years, Rio has said that Ronaldo always had this yearning to go and play there. It was like it was an itch he needed to scratch. And um, it was always going to happen. I suppose following his departure in 2009, really and truly that sacred number appeared on the backs of just so many different players. Everyone from Michael Owen to Antonio Valencia, Memphis Depay, Angel Di Maria, Alexis Sanchez. I mean, they were all given opportunities to engrave their legacy upon that digit. Now, for one reason or another, um, it, it, it didn't come together for them. And I suppose in that time period, the, I suppose the magic of it all, I wouldn't say it maybe faded, but it started diminishing. Its light started uh, quelling. Now, I know when Edison Cavani came there in 2020, he, um, like the passion that he has and the overall ability that he's there, it really started to give a glimmer of hope to fans that, you know what, we've got something back here. And then as you drew, as you, as you drew upon itself with, with the announcement there, in um in August about Ronaldo coming back, it, it blew the socks off me. I was never expecting that. And with him coming back, it's almost like he never left. I know that there's aspects of Ronaldo's game that have changed, but that comes part and part with with, with age, I suppose. And um, the way he has harnessed his ability and been able to manufacture how he plays based on his ability, it's phenomenal. And you've seen it there with a couple of goals that he's got already this season. People are calling him a tap-in merchant, I think, jokingly, because he's just always in the right place at the right time. It's, it's just fantastic to watch him, even now, isn't it? Oh, it is. And uh, funny enough, I've only just got round to watching the uh, Hard to Ignore programme on Cristiano Ronaldo. And it, it is interesting to watch it now, he's back at United, and hear Ferdinand talk and a few others about how this guy always thought he was the best and heading for the top. And I can see now he plotted out his career. Not exactly, but it fits that he went to uh, Sporting, then Manchester United, then Real, then Juve, and, and obviously back to United. Playing for the top clubs on the continent of Europe. His longevity is unbelievable. His scoring record is his list of honours outranks almost anybody. I don't know. I've lost track of how it compares exactly with Messi's, but those two guys are head and shoulders. But for him to come back to Old Trafford, um, I don't believe, they always say don't go back when it's in life, you know, because it's never the same the second time. We don't expect it to be the same. But 
I went to that Wolves game away, Sean, and the buzz that was at the service station when I stopped for a cup of tea, yeah, a yeah. toilet break, and then going into the ground and the singing was coming from all sides. This is in Wolverhampton, you know, 80 miles from Manchester, as fans marched down the street right, coming to the away end. Once under that, under the stand, before we got on the terraces, the singing for three quarters of an hour before the match put the hairs on the back of your neck on end. Just the Ronaldo song and the energy and the passion it was sung with just because this guy had come back. And it was the same when I came out the ground and we'd won, of course, and Greenwood scored. Still singing Ronaldo, though. I walked two miles in the opposite direction from where I'd parked my car because I wanted to go back to the coaches and the station and sing along with all the Reds that were making Uh, the way there. I wasn't bothered that I got home sometime near midnight. But the, the... that it was one of the most splendid things at an away ground, and I've been to many and I've shared some great experience. Ronaldo coming back, it was like a second coming without getting too religious, but there is an old saying, Sean, that a rising tide lifts all boats, and Ronaldo is a rising tide, like Cantona was, and he's risen all the, all the other players, and I think he will continue to this season. But I think even though this is just a friendly chat and the furthest thing from scripted, that's probably the most fitting end to this conversation we could have had. So um, that was that was that was amazing. Um, look, at Pete, it was absolutely wonderful talking to you. Sharing your memories is just fantastic. Um, for for those that might want to get in contact with you on Twitter, um, how can they get in contact with you or any of your social ends? Oh, I've just done at Pete Molyneux, not Peter, Pete Molyneux, at Pete Molyneux. I tweet about modern day stuff, old stuff, things I've seen. I, I, don't, I don't do the ollie in, ollie out. I don't worry too much about who is picked at fullback for each game. I mean, when I'm there, I do, obviously. But um, just stuff about United's history that might be of interest. But um, I always try and reply to anybody that sends me a note or whatever, good, bad or indifferent. Um so, yeah, happy to engage with any United fan from around the world, whatever sex, colour, ethnicity or whatever. Um, if you're a red, it doesn't matter who you are. Love it. Love it. Peace. That was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant talking to you. And for anybody here as well interested in up-to-date content, be sure and drop a follow at Stretty News and also at StrettyCast uh, for up-to-date information. Peace. I hope we get to do this again sometime soon. And uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. It's been my pleasure, Sean. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Sports Social Podcast Network.